I was working the other day, listening to the tapes he sent me, and I heard something. The way he laughed, I, I couldn't really believe it. So I, I enhanced it and I looped it. It's real. It's a way to stay hot. I'll flesh family, flesh later, thunder. I'll flesh family, flesh later, thunder. Make dope, flash dope, burst, flash ball. Make dope, flash dope, burst, flash ball. Back in the days when I was a teenager before I had status and before I had a page, you could find an abstract. Listen in the hip hop and pop shit to say it reminded him of Bebop. I said, Well, daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles? Where the Bobby Brown is just amber light, my friend. It's all exposed. Things are for the looking. If you got the money, questions for the booking. Come on, everybody, let's get with the fly mode. Still got room on the truck full of black gold. Listen to the rhyme and get a mental picture of this black man, a black woman venture. Why do I say that? Cause I gotta speak the truth, man. Do it where we feel, for the music is the proof. And planet on the ground, the actors so together. Bonafide strong, you need leverage to sever. The unit, yes, the unit, yes, the unit. Call the jazz, delivering each gen LP. Fill with street goods, you can find it on your rack in your record store. If you get the record, say your thoughts are adored. And appreciate it, cause we're ever so glad we made it. We work hard, so we gotta thank God. Dishing out the plastic, do the dance to your spastic. If you diss, mm, it gets drastic. All right, we are back. Let's go. Welcome to the Insatiable Content Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Rossmeyer. And this is the second part of a special two episode series tracking the best shows of 2021, according to, well, none other than me. Um, you were listening to a clip from what, you know, not to give the game away here, but certainly one of my favorite shows of the year just now to uh, kick off this podcast. Last week, we covered my six through 10 shows of the week with my friend Amy Barrett. And this week, we're going to do one through five. And I'm really fucking excited to bring in our guest for today. None other than my friend and former co-worker, Eric. You better believe I'm going to make him freestyle excursions before the show is over. Sherry, Eric, thanks so much for joining. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Vincent. Excited to be on the show. And just as and a though, I won't be rapping. <laughs> well, that's disappointing, but um, maybe maybe I'll wear you down over time. Um, all right. As I said, Eric and I used to work together at Tulane, and we spent way too much time talking about shows, movies, and music. Uh, and I know he is one of the few people who watches as many shows as I do, so I couldn't think of a better guest to have on for this episode. Plus, he has really good taste which just so happens to mean that he has a taste a lot like mine, as will be shown in our top five list. So let's get into this. Just to recap and context set here, because who doesn't love a little context setting? My 10 through 6 top shows uh, from 2021 that we discussed last week were Hacks and Reservation Dogs, uh, tied at 10. 9 was It's a Sin, 8 Underground Railroad, 7 was Ted Lasso, and 6 was made. But now we get to the heart of the list, and that's the top five. So, Eric, let's do a little building of suspense here and go five through one, as I think the majority of our conversation will focus on two shows that we both really love. Now, three of the shows on my top five we've already covered on uh, here on the Insatiable Content Podcast. So I'll let Eric, I'm going to let you talk more about those, because I think I've drilled on about those enough. Um, so without further ado, let's let's get into this. Number five for me was The Northwater. Um, I did an entire episode on this. It's all about it's a show that's all about how life is nasty, brutish and short. Um, it features a lot of uh, really insightful things on endurance, which uh, really rang true to me. And Eric, I know you feel the same way I do. Colin Farrell is just a badass. And the show was just basically um, a showcase for him. So I know you also really like this show. So what did I miss when I talked about it on the podcast that you that you also liked? Ooh, yeah. So I definitely uh, really love this show. I actually ended up moving it out of my top five, put it at number six. Um, so I have a different number five. Um, but it, it was a close call. And, and um, a lot of what you said, I mean, is definitely rings true. Colin Farrell is incredible in this like he is incredible in sort of everything uh that he does he just really puts um everything into a role and really brings those characters to life um i think what was really interesting for me is i didn't have a sense of and i i mean maybe i did but i i didn't have a good sense of how brutal and awful whaling and yeah um like those industries are just 
like really, really brutal and difficult to deal with and see. And um, I think this was the first time I'd seen it depicted. And and that was something um, that just made for TV that was interesting to watch. I think when you when you combine that too with um, with with what the the whole story is about, right? It's not just about whaling, but it, it's about a sort of fraud insurance fraud scheme that's happening in the 18th century there's serial killer plot going on um all of this in the arctic circle that brings up like kind of shackleton's adventures out in in the antarctic um it, it just has a lot that's going on and, and this show really is um a show that the keeps you engaged in a way that um you know a lot of other shows just don't I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and it also made, because when you were watching it, you were like, Colin Farrell's so good. You should watch In Bruges again. And so you made me do that too. So that's always a positive. Okay, what was your number five? My number five was Dave. Yes. Um, another show another show that you've had, um, that you've spotlighted on your podcast. Um, I, I have mixed feelings about season one. It was a little... Um, I mean, I, I think it was really good, but it, it was definitely like guy humor, like fourth grade <laughs> guy humor. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no, not at all. Um, but, um, but season two really felt thematically like just it, it was more interesting. The, the the friendship themes that you're seeing between Gaeta, between Benny Blanco, who I realize now is a real person um and not just some some made-up person um the 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 non-cameo by rick rubin i know that um, was so ingenious yeah such a good good episode and then um i really love ben sinclair everything that he does um high maintenance is, is one of my absolute favorite shows and um ben sinclair is both a director on the show and he has um he, he was also one of the characters in that rick rubin uh episode and yeah he just brings a, a sensibility that I, I really um i really enjoy and I, I think season two is just a lot more thoughtful than season one i i agree i think it's definitely gotten better i think I don't know if I said this when we recorded the podcast. I will be very interested to see where it goes because there's, I don't know, I'm a big fan of shows not maybe not going on for too long. And I think it's sort of so perfect at this point that I think you could probably get one more season out of it. But I don't know if I want to see like seven seasons of Dave. Yeah, no, agreed. There's definitely like season one is this introduction to to what you know Dave is trying to do season two seems like okay I'm a celebrity now um and season three could maybe be the fall of that um or or something if they're gonna do if they're gonna do three seasons um but yeah I agree I don't I don't think it has a ton to to offer over like a six or seven season kind of it's it's definitely not one of those shows yeah agreed well good I'm glad you brought that up because I still don't know very many people who have watched it and I just find it so funny. Um, cool. All right. Number four for me, um, which was not on your list, was Mayor of Easttown. Um, I haven't talked about the show yet on the podcast, but I really loved it. It came on earlier in 2020 before I'd even started the podcast. And to me, it featured an all-time performance by Kate Winslet. Um, and if you aren't a Kate Winslet fan or just associate with her, her heart going on in Titanic, I just don't know what to say to you. I think her cameo on uh, Ricky Gervais's show Extras years ago is one of the funniest things I've ever seen an actor do to completely play against type. Um, and she can do everything, sort of like she's like the male Colin Farrell, I would say. And and included in that is doing incredible Pennsylvania accents like she does in Mayor of Easttown, which um, is definitely, you know, to me it reigns similar to having grown up in the D.C. area to people with uh, Baltimore accents. Um, and the first time I learned how good she was at accents, just on a side note here, was when she uh, was in Little Children, a vastly underrated movie, which I think I would highly recommend. Um, but she did such a good American, like boring platonic accent in that. Um, and in this one, she actually ramps it up. But basically, to give a little background here, Mayor, she's the title character. She's a former um, high school basketball star turned detective in a small Pennsylvania town investigating a murder. Um, 
And the show plot-wise deals with a lot of the murder mystery tropes with Winslet playing the rogue cop who has to break the rules to do her job. And there are tons of red herrings to throw off the audience to know who the true killer is. But to me, that wasn't the point of the show. It was more of a character study and a study of place. Um, Winslet's character is so complicated that you don't always like her. You cringe and are like, she probably shouldn't get away with some of this stuff. But you also always want her on screen and you understand where she's coming from. And the cast as a whole is just incredible. Um, and that's good because Mayor has problems with everyone in her life. And so you need them to be able to like meet her, meet Winslet where she is in her acting performance. Um, her mom, played by Jean Smart, who I continue to believe is just like, on an all-time fire binge here with hacks and this. Um, they have a very contentious relationship, as she does with her daughter and sister, and it's all centered, centering around the uh, suicide of her son years ago, which makes her investigation of this murder deeply personal. Um, Evan Peters plays Winslet's co-detective and is so good in being sort of like the kind, straightforward offset um, to the complications that of uh, of Winslet's character. And randomly, there's even a guy, Pierce, citing, and for P- those of us who are watching the show and like reading the internet discourse, when this was happening, it was like, it was such an underwhelming uh, role for Guy Pierce. It was like, he has to be the killer. Or he has to be involved in s- some way. And it was like, nope, he just sort of shows up and he dates Winslet and that's about it. Um, but I love this show because to me, it was a lot about how trauma affects us in the long term. It's about how stifling life can be when we're consumed by our past, whether that, and that past can be like embodied by a place. Um, and in some cases, like the past can be glorious. Like Mayor's former stardom as a high school basketball player was fantastic at the time, but it sort of entraps her as an adult um, in the same way that the death of her son does, even though those things are obviously different levels of magnitude. Shows beautifully shot and also just really goes into depth about um, how people can overcome trauma and not necessarily find catharsis, but at least a level of acceptance. Um, she's a character consumed by guilt and has a bitter edge that I think has been sharpened to hide like the type of person she was at least one point um, before she was so beat down. But I love the show uh, along with all of its great writing and Deer Hunter vibes. So, Eric, uh, what did you think of it? So <laughs> I think after listening to you talk about it, I do want to give it a second chance. Um, no second I, I chances. You, you either like it or you don't. And then we move on and forget about it. Cause there's too much content <laughs> to ever come back to. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so I didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I definitely agree with you about Kate Winslet. I agree with you that there are some major themes, universal themes that are being touched on that. Like we can all connect to, um, but this is a show like HBO's um, other whodunit show, uh, The Undoing, where you've you've bought in, you're engaged. This is a good murder mystery, and then all of a sudden, the finale is so disconnected from the rest of the show. I mean, it feels like it was written in a vacuum that they didn't know what any of the, like the previous episodes were about. It, it is a hodgepodge. Like, it's just a mess. Um, and yeah, I mean, this show didn't make a top 10. I mean, it would, it would be in the top five for one of the worst shows of the year for me. Wow. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. I'm glad I brought this up because to me, you, you're comparing it to the undoing, which was truly probably the worst final episode of a series I've ever seen. It was just so cringeworthy bad. It's like I'm taking it personally now that you think Mare was on that level because I, I agree the the solution to the murder was a little bit convoluted and I, I don't know. To me, that's not why I was like as invested in it. Whereas like in the undoing, to me, it was all about the actual murder mystery and that getaway fake getaway scene at the end with Hugh Grant. Oh my God, that was just, that was painful to watch and also laughable. And um, I didn't get that vibe from Mayor of Easttown. So this is good. I'm glad we're disagreeing. That's that's what this whole thing is about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, no, look, the, the previous nine episodes to the finale, like it, it is a phenomenal show. And like I said, I agree with, with most of what you're saying. Um, but the, the finale to me was so bad that it, it really does knock it down from any sort of top 10 or top five list. Okay, fair enough. All right, so then what was your number four? My number four was another HBO series, but one of their docu-series, um, 100 Foot Wave. Um, 
I think as far as uh, documentaries go, this sort of has it all. Um, really compelling uh, main character in Garrett McNamara and his search for a hundred foot wave that brings him to, uh, I think, uh, Nazare, uh, Portugal. Um, he's sort of like one of, he's older by kind of professional surfer standards now, um, but he's still kind of the top of his class in this. Um, and he is both, he's really compelling this big wave surfing community is the subsection of just like surfing in general that is also incredibly interesting and fascinating to watch um you know these these guys and and these men and women are gearing up in i think like high impact they look like kevlar um suits yeah and are are being towed on jet skis going out on some of the biggest waves in the world um, they're putting their life on the line and all for these kind of like pictures that are super subjective on how high the wave is. Um, and it, it's just um, the people, the talent, the awe-inspiring beauty of these waves, like everything is there. And it's just a really, really good show. So I'm so glad you brought this up because this was the show I left off my top 10 list. I absolutely loved it. Um and I, to, to your point though, like it's like sort of a mi- minor thing, but it is kind of crazy that it's like they're all devoted to this thing of the hundred foot wave, and it's like no one actually can measure that, right? Like I figured we had a more scientific way, and it's like nah, it's sort of still pretty arbitrary. Um, but yeah, this this show was one of the best like documentary out in out in the world type nature type things that I've seen in a long time the the visuals are just stunning now I think the one thing sort of like if I'm gonna give you back a hot take since you just gave the mayor of Easttown one was like I didn't love Garrett McNamara I found him a little bit I found him very selfish very self-focused and self-involved and I actually found the other surfers in the orbit of his world um, much more captivating and having uh, more interesting stories and that was the only thing that sort of detracted from the show for me and probably is the reason that I left it out of my top 10. Interesting yeah I I, that's true but I I would say that's true of every sports documentary um it it, it, to me they they, these like top you know athletes all are self-obsessed narcissists who um, are just amazingly talented. And, you know, I don't know where that drive comes from. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, he's a complicated character. I mean, especially like they talk about, um, you know, his wife's relationship and how, like how that came about. And I mean, he's definitely a complicated character, but one that I ultimately, I, I felt inspired by. Yeah, to me, I compared it a lot to um, Bree Solo. Um, so to me, I found Alex in that a lot more of a compelling character because he was so reflective about what he was doing and also was willing to say, this is, I'm so passionate about this that I need to block out other people in my life. And now eventually he gets his girlfriend, uh, gets a girlfriend who does like soften him and reshape him, I think. But <clears throat> to me, like, I don't know. I, di- I didn't get that vibe from Garrett, but it was also just really fun to hang in the world of surfers, you know, like it really was. And they've completely reshaped this town of Nazare in Portugal. I mean, that that was one of the most astonishing things is they almost literally put this place on the map after just finding that it had such incredible waves. Yeah, I love how much Garrett is loved with in this community. Um, I, I think so often, right, like, I imagine surfers probably get a bad rap, but like all, you know, all like sort of these professional sports that are kind of seasonal that go to places probably aren't always loved by the locals. Um, all right. So that was, that was your number four, hundred foot wave. Why don't you do your number three since I covered it last week? It was also one of my favorite shows. Uh, cause my third is actually your top show. So then we're getting into the real nitty gritty okay. here. Yeah, so um, my number three was uh, a show that you talked about um, last week with Amy, uh, Reservation Dogs. I thought this was an absolute gem of a show. Um, It's sort of indigenous coming of age story. What I really love though is this, the the kind of 
fight between what you revere and what you're irreverent about. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this, you know, community and family and things that um, in, in some ways they make fun of, in some ways they are super reverent towards, but also this kind of like American theme, of, like teen American theme of just like wanting to pack all your stuff up, get in a car, go to fucking California. Like I, I, I le- at least everyone I knew growing up and myself included had that kind of, of course, you know, I, I want to get rid of everything and just get in a car and go to California. And I, I really, um, that really resonated with me and just, um, just, yeah, I, I think the show is really, really beautifully done. And Amazing characters too. Completely. And you also just like sort of know that they probably are not going to make it right. Like, Everyone has these dreams and they're, but I, I love the way they play with the, like the history of indigenous communities and in indigenous like folklore and things like that. Um, yeah. The show is just so inventive and so smart. Um, and the way they, t- honestly, the way they treat the white people in the show was so funny. Um, and just like the white people, so many of the white people in the show are not overtly racist, but they have so many racist um, assumptions in the way they operate with indigenous people that is just, I was laughing so hard at numerous points during the show. Yeah, no, it definitely felt like it was both an inside joke and a criticism all at the same time. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> it was, it was nice to be a part of that and also, um, you know, see that visually on TV and in, in ways that we don't see, I mean, TV right now is just so white. And so this was just such a, a good, good reflection of, of what else is out there. Yes, yes, exactly. It's not something you've seen on TV before. Um, all right, now we're getting to it, Eric. Number three for me um, was also your number one. So do you want to want to lead us into this? Go ahead. Sure. Um, I love this show, uh, Secession, HBO. Um, I... I mean, there there is so much going on in this show, but its depiction of wealth is, I, I think, um, the best of any show out there. Um, season three is a good move from season two, which was really about old money and new money and sort of that interaction. And, and season three moves now to new money versus tech money yeah. um, and, and the dynamics that are playing there. Uh, um, a lot of people probably won't agree with me here, but I, I think Secession is actually like falls onto, on the um, absurdist kind of genre hmm. um, in that uh, most of these plot lines are really improbable, but because there's money, um, it, it, it makes these things possible. Uh, there's so much wealth that, that these weird kind of um, plot movers are, are very much like okay and allowed. And it's just so cringy to watch. It's so uncomfortable. Every dinner scene, every sibling gathering, um, it, it's just so, so uncomfortable to watch. And and that um, just really appeals to me. I mean, we never, I, when I reviewed the final show on this podcast, we ne- I didn't talk about fucking Kendall's birthday party, which was just like, with that and him rapping to his dad, it's just two of the most cringeworthy, most amazing things I've ever seen on TV where you are so sheltered. And I like, I've been thinking a lot about this in relation to the sports world where at the end of the season, you see all these coaches fired and you saw like, you, you see how sheltered and cloistered rich people are in that they think that they are smarter than everyone because no one ever disagrees with them. And you see these owners come out of like the Chicago Bears um, or my like beloved Washington football team, even though we didn't fire a coach for once this year. And they start talking, you're like, oh, these guys are, these guys are fucking morons. They just don't know they're morons. And they somehow ended up with lots of money. Like just the level of stupidity and the level of like, and that's one thing I actually appreciate about you know, succession in general is just showing like how the kids are so much weaker and so much less competent than Logan. Cause Logan actually had to fight for and work for what he got. And you see that, I just think in the way wealth really can 
completely set people up to fail if you're given too much too early in life. Um, and also like I can continue to come back to this point is that like they all seem to hate their lives and are miserable, right? Like I, would you trade your life for any, what any of these characters have? Like the ultimate one, like the sort of like, you know, uh, Gatsby or maybe, maybe Nick is a better comparison. And the show is Tom, who's just so aspirationally, so thirsty to get into this. And he gets in there and he's like, wow, this really sucks. But yet he's also better and more competent because he's not from inside the family so that he can actually navigate. And he's the winner at the end. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree there. And, and I would, I would, um, throw in some Greg sprinkles with that. Oh yeah. Greg, um, Greg, who is part of this family and is much is as much an heir to at least a, you know a pretty big fortune, if, even if it's not the the Waystar fortune. Um, but he's also incredibly adept at navigating both the the familial hierarchy and the corporate one. Yep. Um, sort of this like idiot savant that is just like moving through this space um, and doing much better than than the three main siblings are. Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, you you would be remiss to mention this show and just not talk about the writing. I mean, the writing is so, so smart and so funny. Um, it's And, I mean, it's not all appropriate, but it's like I, I still think back to the thing where Kendall is so, so like, never... He's so like outside of what like reality is that there's that scene. I think it's in the first episode where he's like so pumped that he's doing this and that he's going to like really go against his dad. And he's like asking his staff, like, what's going on in the interwebs with me? And like, you know, like, what are they saying on Twitter? And he's like, this is like OJ. I mean, except if OJ never killed anyone, it's like, what, dude? (laughs) And it just it's so, so fucking funny um and so I, I i mean i could watch this show i know i had some friends who got very tired of the plot this season and thought it meandered too much but for me like uh i don't need the plot to necessarily go anywhere just because it's so funny and so well written yeah i don't know where the plot is going like I, yeah i don't know where the plot is going for this show um they're definitely stretching out like this you know there, there is this sort of king lear aspect of like when is roy going to to step down and and this waystar thing be um, be distributed amongst the siblings or whatever that's going to look like. Well, just uh, who knows where the show is going to go? But I think, like, for me, it will be interesting to see if they start to deal a little bit with the fallout of people of the kids having wealth because I can't imagine they're going to be left destitute, right? But the kids having wealth, but not necessarily a purpose. And also like, just cause they have wealth, but no, no longer the status of being part of the company. If Logan really divests, like the seemingly like he will, what does that do? I mean, they're set completely adrift and honestly, their story might be pretty interesting to follow. Cause it's like, they're going to suddenly deal with the reality that it's like, people haven't been nice to you your whole life because you're smart and competent. They've been nice to you because you're rich as fuck and they're scared of you. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. The, the loss of status is going to be a big deal. I mean, when we, when you look at the sort of um, that comparison against the Pierces, right? Like the Pierces yeah. are all going to do their thing because of that that kind of old money mentality. Like even though they all seem just as useless as the um, as Kendall and Shiv, um, they're all still they they have jobs. They're making there there is some purpose in what they're doing. And yeah, it'll be interesting to figure out what um, what any of them do once the company is either dissolved or sold off or whatever ends up happening with it. Um, And yeah, really telling with Kendall's sort of media monitoring that's constantly happening, that that status is sort of the only thing he cares about. And the money is somewhat secondary to it all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think the Pierce comparison is a good one because they present better, but at the same time, they're as empty and as repugnant in a lot of ways as Logan and his family. Um, Yeah. Okay. Uh, On to number two. This was Everything is Full Circle and Returns Again. White Lotus uh, was my number two show of the year. Um, This is what the topic of my very first podcast of Insatiable Content 
uh, podcast. And um, if you want to know why I love this show, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because I probably should not reiterate myself. But it's a lot of the same themes and reasons of succession, exposing how blind white people like myself are to our privilege and how but the, how there's also like almost no way to escape that. Um, I think it's also a lot about how capitalism destroys everyone within its reach, both rich and poor, for very different reasons. It's fantastic fantastic writing. It's set in a beautiful place. Um, it's very funny. I love the way they, similar to Succession, sprinkle in comedic scenes um, while also having a lot of depth. And it's just a star-studded cast that they all go, and they all go balls to the wall. So I love this show. Eric, uh, what did you think of it? Also loved it. Uh, wasn't in my top five, um, but I also really, really enjoyed this. I love the sort of um, upstairs, downstairs, uh, you know, below deck, Downton Abbey, all of that. That kind of approach that focuses on how rich people kind of consume, uh, the, consume people rather they do. than yep. objects and other and yep. other things. And as someone who worked in a hotel, um, yeah, this is just something that that rang really true to me. Really enjoyed. Um, and yeah, it, it is, it is nowhere near as cynical or maybe it is, but it's at least funny uh, where, where secession is funny in a different way, but it is much more dramatic, uh, white Lotus. I, I was finding myself laughing through most scenes, um, even if they were sort of awful and, um, yeah, it was just a, a lot more of a comedy. Yeah, and Mike White, I think the cr- the creator is gentler to his characters, while he detests, I think, a lot of what he did. D- they do. He doesn't detest them as people because I think he realizes how trapped a lot of them they are and how blind they are without unwittingly. Because like, even the supposedly woke kids in the show are reprehensibly annoying at points. You know, it's like you're reading Franz Fanon like at a fucking. Uh, you know, five star resort. It's like you you really are thinking about the revolution and protesting. Maybe maybe you put down the Mai Tai, you know, and all the fucking drugs you're doing <laughs> so uh, that your privilege has enabled you to have. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a very quality show. And I would like to see more shows that grapple with these yeah. themes. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree to uh, agree with that as well, that there is a sort of. Um, Especially, yeah, with, with those two characters, that there is like a element of wokeness around the social surroundings, but zero self awareness yes. in the way that they interact in, in, in that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just just really devastating for the people around them. Um, and yeah, and yeah, and I think your point about how rich people and white people devour people around them. They don't see the people who work for them. They don't see the people who are seeing them, not or uh, serving them, not really see them. They are means to an end and they will be nice and polite most of the time as long as they are treated well. But at the end of the day, like they give no fucks at all. You know, they do not care about these people or um, well, they will never think of them again once they leave. Um, Okay, so that was that was my number two, White Lotus. And now we are on to the grand finale. We know, Eric, your number one was Succession. My number one was what we started the podcast off with a clip from today was Station Eleven. Um, without a question, this was my favorite show of the year and perhaps one of my favorites uh, TV shows in quite a while. The show just finished its run on HBO. Um, it's based on one of my two favorite novel, novels of the 21st century, and it was written by Emily Mandel, St. Mandel, uh, my other favorite novel being Cloud Atlas. It's set in the before, after, and right in the midst of a worldwide pandemic that kills 90% of the population. Um, if you haven't watched this and are thinking, based on that plot premise, that it's too, it's going to hit too close to home, to me, I reread the novel during COVID, and it felt much more comforting than upsetting. I rewatched Contagion right at the start of the pandemic, which I also recommend doing. It's a fantastic and very prescient movie, but it was also just like way too spot on and scary. This show actually, and I would say the book too, it's not actually about a pandemic, even though it the pandemic set is sort of the fulcrum and the backbone of what happens. It's, it's a show that is much more interested in the characters and humanity. Um, and to me, it really speaks to what sort of humanity carries through with it and what we carry with us over time and what and what we lack 
or what would change about us and what would be able to persist if our entire society was destroyed like it is in this show. It's fundamentally asking the question that like of what makes up humanity, what defines us as people and not animals and allows us to have a functioning society um, and the way and how can we continue through everything like how do you know like there's that famous thing where it's like humans shed their skin what is it like every seven days they completely regenerate their skin but yet we're essentially the same people um and we look the same so to me that sort of like resonates with how this show is where it's like if everything is gone what is left of us um and what connects us to the civilization that we had in the past um, and to me, I think for at least in this show and this and the book, a big answer to that is art. Um, Mackenzie Davis plays this character named Kristen, and we get to see her evolution from a kid who is traumatized, losing both of her parents at the start of the pandemic. Um, when, and she's a child actor and is at a performance and can't get back to them, uh, which is how she ends up sort of as an orphan in all of this to when she's 20 years later as a hardened badass with knives um, and she's an actress in a traveling Shakespeare troupe that's traveling around the Great Lakes 20 years after the pandemic. And there's obviously this question I've heard from people who have watched this show that it's like, I thought this was a pandemic show. Why the, why the fuck would anyone be performing Shakespeare in, in 20 years after the pandemic? But to me, that was the whole point. It's like, it's art that helps us to define ourselves and to know ourselves. Uh, to ourselves and that helps us under you know like fully grasp who we are and to me the show's through line in this book uh, or the show's through line is this book called Station Eleven written by a woman named Miranda Carroll Carroll, who's played by insanely well by Danielle Deadweiler who was also in The Harder They Fall um, the western that I covered a few podcasts back she creates this graphic novel that becomes over time a sacred almost biblical like text that then people base their whole identities and cults essentially around and again like there's a character in the the, uh, show in the book called The Prophet who becomes obsessed with this Station Eleven and believes that it's like the Uber text, right? And we get to understand his backstory and how it, where he comes from. But again, it's arguing for this idea that art, a text, performance, has, has this tremendous power to shape our worldviews, to give us relief and solace in times of incredible distress, um, but also like completely have this power that can sort of guide Light. And Eric, I have a lot more to say about the show, but I feel like I've been talking too long, so I want to let you jump in because I know you've seen this show too. I just wanted to say one final thing before you jump in, and that is Mackenzie Davis is a goddess. And, you know, I'm out here single now, and I have all these ladies, as you know, Eric, clamoring at my door. But out here on these streets, if, if Mackenzie Davis came up to me and said, hey, I want to run away with you, nothing would stop me from doing that. She She is just perfect in every way. And carries this show through so well. She just dominates this performance. Yeah, I absolutely agree that um, Mackenzie Davis is amazing. And um, if you haven't seen Halt and Catch Fire, you have to. Um, She really is uh, the best part of that show. Without a doubt. Such a good show, too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I absolutely love this show. It uh, it made number two, Just Under Secession, um, but I, I think a lot of the things that you've, you've brought up are, are ones that, that really resonate with me. This is not a your traditional post-apocalyptic show. Um, this is not, you know, trying to kill zombies or what it takes to survive, um, but really is a show that's just optimistic that, that, yeah. that, humans, that humans will come back together and, like, create community and create traditions and and like that there is love and that there's also you know this weird cult kind of thing going on also um that like in the absence of um some of the standard like religious beliefs that that new ones kind of pop up and propel themselves uh and yeah that there's 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 so much world building that's happening in this show um, that that you you're focusing in on just this small little part of survivors that, that have have made it and that they've built this several different societies and yes. how those societies interact. Um, 
And I love this idea that, that you know, 20 years after, after, you know, almost everyone you know has, has like died, that, that you're going to sit somewhere and listen to, to people perform Shakespeare. Like that is weirdly comforting and beautiful. Yes. And that there are these things about us that will carry on no matter what happens. I, I think for me, the resounding theme of the show is summed up very, very directly, both in the book and the show with the line survival is insufficient. It's not enough for us to just survive and persist, right? We have to actually exist and live. Um, and there's this great line in the show where uh, one of the characters says, what if I've been living the wrong life and then die, right? Like this tremendous fear that like you're trapped in this cycle where you're not really happy you don't feel like you're truly alive. And then life is can be over just like that, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's being hit by a bus, you know, like, or you choke on your cereal at breakfast. And so there, to me, your point about this being the most optimistic post-apocalyptic show ever, it really is. It's like, to me, it was really about like seizing every opportunity to live and love the people we're around and just be good to each other, you know? And I, even saying that it sounds cheesy, but it's so not, it's so earned in the show in a way that like you truly feel that like you see the best parts of humanity while also understanding the negative parts of it. Yeah, no, agreed. And, um, I lo- yeah, that line survival is insufficient is like a sticker on one of the cars in the, in the wagon and the traveling symphonies, uh, one of their wagons. Um, and I, I also love the idea that in a lot of your sort of traditional post-apocalyptic um, like stories, it is about being hardcore and about like what you can do to kill people and barricade yourself. And here, you know, the theater kids inherit the earth. <laughs> what is it like? You know, what is this world where a bunch of actors are? are the heroes in, in, in this new world. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's really, really compelling and beautiful. And I love, you know, this idea of the wheel of not leaving the wheel that, um, of creating seasons and and ideas of always coming back and returning. Yep. Um, it, it, it's just, um, yeah, it's just really, really, really good. Well, and so just one thing, I love the way the show was released too. You know, it was released sporadically where I think they did three episodes and then two, 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 one. So it was nice to actually like have a break in between. And there were also 45 minute episodes. So it didn't feel like I'm so fucking tired of hour long episodes for everything. Like not everything deserves to be that long. So like I could be consumed by the show but also like not leave it where it was like I was ever looking at my watch. And it also just, it it just, I had something to look forward to every Thursday when the shows came out. Yeah. The the release was really different. I haven't seen any show uh, ever released the way this was the, um, the three, two, one, like the finale by itself. Um, And it made it more of an event for me. Like, Oh wow. We have, three episodes of this TV show to watch. And now like, you know, they're dropping two at a time. This is, this is great. Um, I will say, and I, and I'm, I'm gonna, I, I wanted more. Um, I, I, I think an hour would have, would have been great rather than 45 minutes. And I really, I think, um, all of the characters are so interesting and they all do get generous amounts of screen time. This is not a story that is consumed by one person. Um, that being said, I, there are some characters who I wish got more, more time. I, I really, I, I think another episode or two really could have, could have helped, um, help the show. I, I would have loved uh, an episode on the prophet Mm-hmm. Um, loved enough more on Miranda, um, more on uh, Jeevan. Like, just they're all so interesting, and all of their stories and, and how they survive and, and what they're doing is, is is interesting. I actually agree with it that I could have done with more, but I was also very happy that I didn't have it. It was like, you know, it's like you eat a big meal and you at least this happens to me where I'm like you know what I need one more piece of pie I've already had one but 
two is going to be even better. And then the next morning you're like, I really shouldn't have had that second piece of pie where that's how this felt to me. It was like, I wouldn't be able to control myself. I wouldn't be able to show any moderation with this show. So I'm glad they did it for me. Um, because to me, I would much rather leave wanting more than feeling like a show was a slog. Um, what, what, one thing I wanted to return to just sort of the point of like finding uplift and optimism in a post-apocalyptic world was what I started the show out with, which was this excursion scene, which is just like there. Basically, the scene is um, the two people, the Javon, who rescues Kristen when she's young, they end up going and seeing his brother, Frank, and. They're then trapped in the Chicago apartment in this post-apocalyptic world, slowly realizing as it settles in on them just how dire the situation is. And all of a sudden, they're like, they're all going a little crazy. They're all worried about, you know, what the fuck are we going to do? They're running out of food. And um, Frank, who's been working on this project, just one day comes out and uses it to find an incredible moment of exuberance and start wrapping Tribe Called Quest excursions. And I think, you know, to, to me, it was so beautiful. It felt so great to have that type of uplift and be like, this is what we have to do. You Even in the worst moments, you have to find something to cling on to and be positive and optimistic about. And that's really up to us to do. Yeah, I, um, I too love that, that scene. And, um, yeah, it's just more of this, um, yeah, it's just a very optimistic scene. I love the idea that, you know, the things that are left over are, you know, Shakespeare and a tribe called quest. Like that's what we're going to use to soothe ourselves and to make sense of our world. And that, that's really great. Um, I do wonder, and, and this is just something that I've been thinking about. Why was the Jennifer Lawrence rapping along to the Wu-Tang and Don't Look Up so awful compared to... It's a great question. I don't I don't know if it was that, it, you know, she's a white person doing it and this Frank is a person of color who, you know, he changes the line in the song to, uh, to a, a brown man instead of a black man. Um, and... I, I know it like hearing interviews about the show, it really resonated deeply with Frank as a kid, right? Like he he's loved Tribe Called Quest ever since he was a kid. So growing up in England. And so who knows? Like, but I agree. The like I couldn't uh, don't look up is one of the worst failures of a movie I've seen in a while. Like it's just it was like one of those things I've heard people defend it. And I'm just like, this is a truly terrible movie with positive aspirations. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think it was the worst movie ever. Um, it was fine. Uh, you know, an idiocracy that just didn't live up to to idiocracy. Um, but, but yeah, just, um, I don't know. The, those two scenes are sort of these comparable, like, end-of-world scenes where we're going to um, we're gonna sing along to rap music. And, and one really works, and one, for some reason, just doesn't seem to. Um and I, I, I think one I, of the other I say right. this too as someone who loved Jennifer Lawrence. Like I fucking love her, and yet I was just like, oh, don't do this to me. Yeah, no, it, yeah, this thing just was. It was weird. It didn't work. Um, I think one of the other things uh, that I really liked, and I find it somewhat comparable uh, to the Trap Call Quest scene, is the Independence Day audition. Yep. I absolutely loved oh, that scene. So um, good. Yeah, the, you know, not to give away too much, but like this, this character wants to join um, the tra- Traveling Symphony, um, doesn't want to perform Shakespeare as an audition. They allow him to, to, uh, to audition a, a different piece of material. And he auditions the president's um, kind of last speech in, um, in Independence Day. And for some reason, it, it fits in so well with the mood and the theme of the show and is also just like a really funny reference and, and, yep. and just lighthearted, funny reference that's really, um, yeah, really enjoyable in the same way that I think the, the Tribe Called Quest scene Well, was. To, to that point, it's great because this, you know, you have a troupe of, tra- of traveling Shakespearean actors, but this show isn't pretentious or highfalutin. It's, it has 
both the quote unquote high and low elements of society. And it's saying all of this is good, right? Like all of this can find people can find meaning in and resonance in and station 11, the graphic novel that this is all based in, like that had, it takes on this like incredibly powerful thing as a text, but we don't know. We never really get to read it, right? We just get to see excerpts of it. We don't know if it's actually good or not. Miranda devoted her life to it, um, but we don't know if it's actually good. Although I, and to me, one of the, so one of my favorite things was when Gael Garcia Bernal, he, who plays Arthur, who is like the famous actor who this show is centered around, but is a very hollow person ultimately, though he has a ostensible amount of success in the show. He turns to Miranda when she finally finishes. They were married at one point and she divorced him in part because of the way he was treating her and her response to how absorbed she was in this graphic novel she was writing, which became Station Eleven. And she finally finishes it. She gets it published and she brings him a copy. And he's like, he says something along the lines of essentially like, what does it feel like to like actually have finish something, to actually have accomplished something, to actually have something to show for your life to let, that you've invested this much in. And like, again, that's speaking to the power of art, regardless of what type of art you're producing, the meaning behind it is what matters. And Miranda lost, she's one of those artists who like, all that mattered was the work itself. That was what mattered and was finishing it. It didn't matter if she, it had an audience. It didn't matter if she made a dime off of it. Um, and there was like that purity in her creation that was, I found intensely riveting to watch. Yeah, no, and, and the fact that he could never understand that either. Right. Um, the, the idea that she would want to create art and not publish it or not show it to people um, where he, you know, don't, uh, is always on stage um, acting in, in, in some way. Yep. Um, so we should yeah. also just talk about the import performances. The cast is loaded. I mean, to me, uh, other than Mackenzie Davis, Javon, Gavon was just amazing in this. He was, he was amazing. He steals so many scenes. I, I would say that about every... Yeah. I, I think um, every character is just... You know, it is a show that is about acting, right? Like, so... Um, the actors are also playing Shakespeare um, among like their other character like in the show and um, I, I think everyone delivers so well even and I'm blanking on on the kid's name um, but one of the kids who's with the prophet who has to he ends up doing a soliloquy like a Shakespeare soliloquy for for the prophet and even that is you know he's got three minutes maybe in, in the entire show of like time and he's incredible in that yep. and um and, and that that's true of, of everyone and part of the reason why i would just have loved an episode or two more um because it was just such a thrill to watch yeah and i i know i've been pr- mispronouncing jivan his, his character's name is actually jivan in the show played by himesh patel um but yeah you're completely right there's so many like Lori petty who is the conductor is amazing and then like fucking david cross shows up you know, I kept waiting for him to pull off his pants and show us that he was never nude, but he shows up as uh, Laurie Petty's ex-husband and like bunker, hunkered down in this um, golf re- <laughs> you know, country club golf resort turned um, sort of barricade against the outside world. And it's just like everyone delivers. I mean, we haven't even talked about Clark, right? Like who's played by David Wilmot, um, who is really, he's Arthur's best friend and really, a fulcrum and the backbone of a lot of this show and trying to preserve what has been lost from the past. But I don't know how HBO does it, but I, I, I do think, you know, I don't want to just like pump up HBO, but every time they cast a show, everyone's on, on point, right? Like they just don't have very many misses ever. Yeah, no, I was just going to agree with you. Um, I, I too am always a little hesitant, especially when I'm making uh, top five type 10 lists. To, to be thoughtful that I'm, I'm, you know, making sure that I'm using a broad range of uh, sort of media sources, but HBO really tends to deliver quality shows. They do. And um, yeah, and, and this is just an, another sort of proof point. 
So one thing I, uh, I, I agree. I think one thing I did want to ask, like the only criticism I could think of of this show is that did it sometimes feel like there are too many connections between characters? Like is the idea of that everyone's connected? Was that like too much sometimes? Because like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Babel, but that's where I think like I something have. like that goes bad. Right. Um, and it, you're just yeah. like suffocating on on that type of I don't know it almost feels like a bad form of nostalgia but I, I, I wondered how you felt about that because I, I feel like this show is aware of it as it is aware of everything it's so self-aware that it 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 sort of avoided it for me ultimately yeah of course um, I, I too uh, I watched Babel when it came out in the movie theater um, I did not like it uh, this to me so there's a line, um, Jeevan uh, screams out, this is so pretentious. Um, and to me, that, w- that was something that really, really sort of undercuts all of the criticism of, of this show around things like that. Um, that yes, this is like a show that is really complicated and it's intentionally complicated. And it's like aware of that. And, and it, it's weaving in, you know, Hamlet into a, a you know a story arc and it, it's weaving in king lear and it's weaving in station 11 and all of these things are connected and i'm okay with it like yeah. i can look past somewhat like really over the top connections um and I, i'm not sure why it's just um it's just capable of doing it like uh the the birthing clinic and who gives birth and you know whose son that is all of these things um are are all super connected and the way it is released over time like the the both the the non-linear narrative and the way the information is released over time allows for for you to believe it um you know maybe if you're watching it a second or a third time you'll you'll think the connections may be a little dubious but um, for a first watch, I, I I think it's great. Yeah, and I think I think for me too, sort of to that point is that like it's meta without being so like eye rolling and postmodern that like it just gets annoying. Um, and I really appreciate that. And I, I I guess one other thing I I say since I know you haven't read the book, but I have is like. This is a completely different work of art than the book. The book is amazing. You should read it, highly recommend it. But they've changed so much in this that like the character of Jivan is like not a major character in the book. Um, And the prophet is a completely different thing in the book. Um, And the book is a lot darker in some instances. So I think to me that was also like made it really great in some ways that I wasn't just getting a a visual version of the book and this was a brand new work of art yeah no, I, I haven't read the book um that's really helpful to know and, and a good way to, to go into it um so yeah i definitely have plans to read it and um yeah that's that's good to know um what this did remind me of was um hbo's uh, the leftovers yes um which which is another sort of post-apocalyptic show um, but that really focuses on um, on some of the kind of cult aspect, like it, it, banal kind of trivial aspects of life um, that are changed because you're you're in a post-apocalyptic kind of environment. But also a lot of the cults and, and the ways um, the ways traditions and and people come together after these kind of events. Um, yeah, that was just another sort of point for me. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, I mean, I, I think this is the longest podcast I've ever done, which I think is worthwhile because <laughs> all these shows deserve the conversation we had about them. But anything else you want to say about Station Eleven before we go? Yeah, I mean, I think the set and costume design um, are just really new and novel. Yes. Um, yep. And... Uh, it's some stuff you like you can spend a lot of time just looking at and and things you haven't seen um and yeah i think that that won't delve too deep into it just that it's worth um it's worth taking a look at yeah and very creative because they are essentially using 
they're having to recycle materials just like they would in a post-apocalyptic world to make these costumes. And it leads to just some fantastic, fantastic costumes. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, well, awesome, Eric. I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking about this. I, they, like Station Eleven, especially, is a show I just hold so dearly that um, I really wanted to talk about it with someone who I knew appreciated it and liked it as much as I did. Um, and I really encourage anyone who's listening to this to go and see it uh, and watch it um, because it will. It has a sort of hypnotic quality, and maybe it's not for everyone. But like, I'm so glad you made the comparison to The Leftovers because at the end of the day, that show was is one of the most profound shows I've ever seen on TV, and I still think about it all the time. And I think years from now, I'll be thinking about this too. And just like sort of the questions it asks about what, what we owe to each other and what we carry through with us, um, as, as a people. So thank you so much, Eric, really appreciate it. Um, and hope to get you back on here sometime soon to talk about something else. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, I love doing, you know, roundups, like yearly roundups, uh, and, yeah, I think um, Station Eleven is is a standout show um, worth worth spending some time on, and um, yeah, I'll decide to come back at some point. Great, maybe we'll have to do your worst five shows since we now know Mayor of Easttown was on it. I'm trying to think what mine would be. Okay, well, that's a podcast for another day. Uh, well, thank you so much, and uh, until next time, this is the Insatiable Content Podcast signing off.